This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello and welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us today. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis and my co-host is my awesome service dog, Whistle. And we're thrilled to be with you today to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today we're going to be visiting with Dr. Ursula Rack. And Ursula is an Arctic and Antarctic historian, and she's currently an adjunct professor with the University of Canterbury. And she will be joining us today from New Zealand to talk about her work and about the various roles working dogs have played in Antarctica since the late 1800s. So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Dr. Ursula Rack to the show. Sit, stay, we'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Molly, here's your dinner. <coughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. It's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Ursula Rack to the show today. Hello, Ursula, and welcome. Hello. We're so glad you could be with us today. I mean, an Arctic and Antarctic historian, we don't get that very often on our show. So we're so happy you could be with us. And, and I have to ask you, how did you begin your work as an Arctic and Antarctic historian? Yeah, it was since I have been a child, I was interested in colder regions. And I have to say, I'm afraid of dogs, but I was very fascinated what the dogs did all the time and how the men could survive with the dogs and how they handled the sledges and so on. And it was really very fascinating for me because it's such a different world I know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know. I mean, so how did you, so you say that you were interested in cold regions and how did you really start your work? Yeah, I lived in Bremerhaven and I wanted to write a PhD and I met a polar historian 
And then we discussed it, and then I wrote a PhD on uh, social conditions on Austrian and German Arctic and Arctic explorations. And it was really <laughs> then that I uh, got more and more in this field. And now I work in New Zealand because my husband got a job here. And now I work in New Zealand as polar historian on different kinds. The dogs are only a little part of it. But it's mainly about environmental history and social history in the Antarctic and the Arctic expeditions. Yeah, that is so awesome. Well, and I didn't realize that there was an Antarctica and the Antarctic Treaty. So can you tell our listeners about the treaty, what the treaty designates Antarctica as? Yeah, the Antarctic Treaty is a very complex situation because in the 1950s, in the middle of Cold War, they found out that the Antarctic is very important for our climate and it has to be researched and that mining and exploiting is prohibited or at least reduced for a time and only for a peaceful uh, research. They created this Antarctic Treaty System and it's still in place that we have to be careful how we treat the animals there, that it's not oil drilling or whatever, is covered by this treaty. But it's, yeah. it's, there are people, they are really experts only on the treaty because it's so special and so sensitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's so amazing because I didn't realize that it, it was really a natural reserve that's devoted to peace and science, which I just thought yeah. was so cool. Yeah, it was, of course, very, very important because in the time of Cold War, it was also territory claims and things like this. And therefore, they had to go sure that the people from all nations can do their research in collaboration, if possible, because it's much more effective in this area and not start to fight there. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, that was one of, of the reasons that the treaty was put in place. And yeah. I think that it's a very good thing and it's extended and we hope that it keeps a long time this way. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, it's so important, like you were saying, because it is so important as how we learn about the environment and about weather and about all of those things that impact our environment. Yeah, it's really incredible. So tell yeah. us, Ursula, how did you become interested in the role that dogs had played on the continent? I'm involved in a sludge uh, Sorry, sledge dog project in Littleton. We had the big earthquakes, you know, and we are in the rebuild and that people get more motivated. Uh, we wanted a bronze statue in Littleton, what is the harbor from Christchurch, and that people are also interested in tourism to come to see the sledge dog because Littleton had a very important place for the expeditions from New Zealand. And there is a, an island called Quail Island that lies in the middle of this uh, bay. And that was the quarantine station for the dogs and for the ponies. And many people told stories what they knew from their great-grandfathers and so on about the dogs and when they went through the, the city and how the noise was from the island when the dogs started to howl and things like this. And it was really then something I got more and more involved. And yeah, then I read a little bit more Then we needed a little bit a historic background. And another historian from here and me, we tried to put together which dogs were here, which expeditions left here from Littleton, had dogs, are there 
dog stories around. And so I got more and more into this topic. That's like so that. fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So when did they really start using dogs there? As soon as they started to land on the continent, like the Bochgrewing expedition in 1898, they used dogs because they wanted to explore their environment and they knew they cannot do it by foot. And they knew it from the Arctic that sledges and dogs are very uh, comfortable and started to bring them down there. And sometimes they brought the dogs back, they survived, and left them, for example, at Stewart Island in the south of, of New Zealand. Especially this Bochgrewing expedition and other expeditions could take these dogs. But most of the time they brought their own dogs down from Greenland or Siberia and used them really as working dogs till in the 1990s. Because from 1995 on, there was no dog allowed anymore in the Antarctic because they brought also diseases to the seals and to the penguins. And about the treaty, the Antarctic Treaty, it is not allowed to bring alien species to the Antarctic and the dog would be an alien species. And therefore, yeah. Yeah, that's so fascinating and interesting. So I was wondering about what types of dogs that they initially took. They used very often Greenland dogs. In general, they are called huskies, but there are different types from dogs and these are used for certain kind of transport. For example, the Greenland dogs were much, much stronger to pull than the Siberian huskies they had. But sometimes they were interbreeding and got them very good dogs ah. out of it, you know. Yes, and because yes. They, they did not control the behavior right, <laughs> for the life right. the dogs had to each other. And right. sometimes they were an interbreeding, yeah. <laughs> well, what's your opinion about them no longer letting dogs come on different on-site operations? What do you think yeah. about that? I think with mosquitoes and helicopters and aeroplanes, they can transport much more material now. And I think the dogs, even when they like to pull sledges and things like this, some sledges could have 500 kilos or more. And I think for dogs, it's also a very exhausting work. And even when they like this environment, they are a little bit more exploited and maybe it's better not to have them because the Inuit, they transport not that heavy loads, you know, than they, yeah. they, with the scientific instruments. On the other hand, dogs need a very, they, they need very much attention and <laughs> in handling, you know, because they are really uh, very active animals. And so the scientists can more con yeah, concentrate on their work when this is on a schedule than when they have to handle with the dogs, you know. Yeah, it's yeah, that's a little a good bit point. of benefit for both, maybe. And of course, this is a very sad story, but it was not allowed after a time, especially after the, the 1950s, that they bring dogs back from the Antarctic and therefore they put them down. Mm -hmm. It was not allowed to bring them back about yeah, quality issues and so on. And I think it's much better when they don't take dogs down because then they have not to put them down, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, know, I think that's, that's maybe the better way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I know sometimes we don't think about the sacrifices that working dogs make, you know, like military dogs and others that in the past, yeah. they did sacrifice their lives for the work. Yeah. yeah. 
It's only because you said army dogs, because one of these uh, Greenland dogs, an Austrian expeditioner had, he could not go to the Antarctic because World War One broke out, and he used these dogs for war efforts, for example. Ah. In Galicia, where, when there was winter in Poland, they were very handy, for example, and he was a very well-trained dog handler. And therefore, he used his sledge dogs for the what was supposed to go to the Antarctic, used them for war efforts, for example. They were really very handy. And then he got caught by the Russians and was brought to Siberia in as a POIW, and he was caught because of his dogs as well. They took his dogs for purpose, for war effort as well. Ah, well, let me ask you, so I love the references you're making to World War One and to the history. How do yes. you go about researching the history, Ursula? How do you find the documents that talks about what happened during these early I- days? I read a lot of the diaries and yeah, collected all the things, the sayings they had on the dogs. Therefore, I know how they handled it, how they had problems with them, how they were struggling sometimes to deal with the dogs, but also how much they put their feelings and so on into the dogs. And uh, the other thing is also that I saw bills when they bought the dogs or when they got rid of the dogs then in the end through auctions. For example, Shackleton, he sold his dogs when he came back from the endurance expedition because there was the Ross Sea Party. They had still the dogs because he had to pay off his debt and mm-hmm. um, things like this. And, and yeah, mostly diaries, mostly official reports and sometimes what I found on yeah, contracts and things like this. This is where I get my information from. Are they at your university or in archives? Where are these documents stored? Sometimes they are in private hands. Sometimes they are in archives. I I visit very often archives. And then I have a sort of network when other people worked on these dogs or on on diaries or on letters and so on, correspondence. Then we exchange and talk. And then I go to conferences. I get another information where a diary can be and so on. It's quite work intense and time intense, but it's very interesting because uh, you have the first written account on it. And this is really very often as they saw and experienced it, you know, and therefore it's very interesting. It's not polished, made up or whatever. It's really something what comes directly from the situation, you know. Yeah, it's incredible, and it is so fascinating. Well, we are going to take just a quick break, and here's some important yes. messages from our sponsors, but we're going to come right back and continue visiting with Dr. Ursula Rack, because we have a lot more questions for her about the amazing work that she's doing. So come right back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. 
In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. And we're visiting today with Dr. Ursula Rack, and she's telling us about the amazing work that she's doing as a historian, looking at the Arctic and Antarctic and how dogs played a role in that amazing territory. And and as before the break, we were talking about some of the specifics, and I wanted to ask you, so tell us a little bit more about what were some of the jobs that the dogs did. You mentioned some of those before the break, but could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. The dogs had to pull material mainly because when they traveled in the Antarctic, then, for example, when they wanted to go to the pole, they had to lay depots. And these dogs were very important that they could bring it as close as possible to the poles. And they were pulling not only food and surviving material, also the scientific equipment what was also very important. And therefore, the dog handles had to be very careful because some of the instruments were very sensitive and therefore they, had, they needed a smoother ride. In the beginning, the dog handlers were not so trained and there were some funny stories when the sledges always capsized or they had to really fight. But when they found the right order in the dog's hierarchy, then it was really very often uh, very smoothly right. And the other thing was that the dogs were also, especially in winter time when they did not travel, a little bit relief, attention relief, because some of the men were looking after the dogs and so they could put more their feelings, their aggressions, their homesickness or whatever into the dogs what helped then to release the tensions. Mm-hmm. It was also this a very important job. And mainly it was that they pull material in the place where they have been needed. The very mm-hmm. sad point is, like Amundsen, he even had in mind, or did it, when he went to the South Pole, he even calculated the dogs as food for the dogs, but also food for people. Yeah. This is maybe the not so nice part, but it is a reality and it was really a survival technique for him. Therefore, he was so fast at the pole and also so fast back and was healthy mm-hmm. and successful, yeah. if you like. Yeah. Yeah. And well, other sacrifice of the dogs. Yes, yes. And they did sacrifice so much throughout history. Well, and I know that there's a big event in New Zealand called the Ice Fest. Can you tell us about the Ice Fest and what that is? 
IceFest is an invention what was made two years ago to bring more awareness on the connection between New Zealand and the Antarctic because Antarctic is one of the five gateway cities and we are still bringing people down from New Zealand. The American station McMurdo in Rossi, yeah, uh, Rossi region and the Scott base from New Zealand running out from New Zealand. They do their research there, their scientific work and uh, McMurdo and Scott base are yeah, occupied all over the year, also overwintering and uh, material is brought from New Zealand down there. People are brought down there and during the summer season they have each second day or sometimes each day, it depends how much work they have to do a flight to the Antarctic. Therefore, uh, this ice fest should bring more awareness to that, but also how important the Antarctic is for us about climate-wise, you know, with all the islands around, sea level rise and things like this. There was a very interesting exhibition how the Earth developed with the Gondwana and so on, and how Antarctic got more and more a special place as indicator for climate and with the ice core drilling and uh, the mud drilling and things like this. Then it was also entertainment program that people get uh, more, you know, with, with games and entertaining. People get much more aware about things and therefore I think many school classes uh, were there and got some information and competitions. It's really very interesting and I think it's something for everybody because there is science talks, there are art workshops, there are street work, it's all covered, you know, mm -hmm. and it's very interesting to, to see how people react to it and some have really their aha uh, experience and also the sledge dogs were involved because they pulled the tram. We have a historic tramway here, and they pulled the tram. That this that you can see how strong these dogs are really are. Yes, yeah. I saw a picture of that. It was incredible. You mentioned competitions. So, are there sled dog competitions during yeah. Ice Fest? Yeah. Yes, it was on wheels, of course, because we have now spring here, uh -huh. uh, but it was sledges on wheels. And we have a group here in Littleton and, and uh, uh, Christchurch. They really train with sledge dogs and have competitions. And there is a husky rescue program. They help when people get huskies because they are so cute, but they cannot handle them. And they are very often neglected. And they have now 70 huskies in their care. They saved. And they train the dogs as yeah, competition dogs again and uh, rehouse them and so on. And it's very interesting to see how much training these dogs need. They need yes. at least five kilometers per day to walk and run, and the weekends they do sledge running more than 20 kilometers. Wow. And wow. Uh, only that you see how much work these dogs need not to get ill or bored or have then a misbehavior. Yes, working dogs like to be busy. Yes, yep. they do. <laughs> yeah. well, and, and you created a presentation with, I believe it was with Frank Graveson, about yes. a dog's tail. Can you tell us yes. a little bit about that? Yeah, I 
told about the path from the heroic age when they started to use the dogs in the Antarctic and how they learned how to handle them. And Frank was then talking about his work when he was working in the 1960s with the dogs in the Antarctic. And sometimes it was very similar what I told from the old times. But for example, in the 1960s, they knew exactly how to handle the dogs. And he said they were really very high-skilled trainers and also very high-skilled trained dogs they used there. And that these dogs are really working dogs and need a strong hand and that they were very much controlled. And there's a very nice book about this as well. It's called Of Dogs and Men, 50 Years in the Antarctic. And it's from 1944 to 1994 when the British used dogs in the Antarctic and it's a very fascinating book. It's really highly recommended when somebody wants to know about dogs in the Antarctic and he told a little bit about this and uh, has also shown what they used for dogs. For example, they killed seals and the dogs were fed on, on seals. Each second day, each dog got 2.5 kilos of meat and it was gone. <laughs> It was uh, also that these dogs were very much active and fighting, and he said they really needed a very, very strong hand that the dogs really were pulling and really did their work and not got exhausted in their fights. And it was the same as I know from the diaries. You know, they knew the dogs had to be trained. They knew the dogs had to be fed in a special way. Sometimes the dogs were very ill after the long journeys on the ship and then they needed really a lot of care to get back to their strength. Mm -hmm. And I was talking about this as well. And also a very sad story where somebody fell in a crevasse and lost the sledge and the other two survivors had only a small sledge but no tent with them, only the sleeping bags, very little food and then they had to start to eat the dogs and one of them got very ill and died then and the last one he was the expedition leader he survived and was yeah when he ate the last dog he knew it's only one way to survive when he's now manholing and with the little stuff he had he could survive but it was yeah he was barely alive and he reached the station and this shows also how important the dogs have been for the survival of the man. And therefore, I think yes. the dogs are not well presented most of the time. You know, there's always mm -hmm. a nice story when the, 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 the sledge is capsized, but not how important these dogs have really been. And when they asked yeah. me for IceFest if I could present something, I said yes on the dogs. And then they found also Frank and we were a good team to introduce the dogs and the children and even the adults they were very impressed and had very good questions in the end and it was I think a very good event that people got aware that history has not to be boring you know that history mm -hmm. can also be interesting <laughs> yes it's very nice. interesting and it, yes yes and I like the word heroic because that applies not only to the explorers and the scientists but it also applies to the dogs and for their heroic yeah. efforts 
Yes. Yeah. And even Admiral Byrd, who has been in the Antarctic several times, he also used dogs and was very convinced that they are very important because pony were not really good. And in the 1930s, you know, yeah, motor sledges and so on, they were already existing, but they were not very effective and they still relied on dogs. And he brought them the dogs back from Canada and because yeah, yeah. he was an American. But he, for example, he also left for Antarctic from Wellington. He was in Wellington stationed. And his dogs, for example, they were so poorly in their health that they almost died. And somebody in Otago University found out how to treat the pemmican, what the dogs got very often on board. And then they survived. The University of Otago was involved in producing a food for the dogs that they survived in the 1930s. And Admiral Byrd could go down with healthy dogs to the Antarctic. It's also very mm. interesting that you see how worldwide the connections can be yes. to the dogs. Yes. <laughs> From yes. Canada to yes. the Antarctic. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Well, are, are you working on any other research around dogs in the Antarctic now? Or are you working on other projects? I work a little bit on this dog project still because we want to produce a, a little article for Antarctic magazine from the Antarctic Society in New Zealand here. But oh, normally when we get it out and when we publish it, we can send it to you if you like. And oh, yes. the other thing is, <laughs> and the other thing is I do research in the moment on historic weather data from the heroic age uh, till to the 1930s in the moment to collect weather data from logbooks that scientists then can create weather patterns on weather, you know, how it evolved and so on and so forth. And I read also diaries for that because sometimes weather data are not complete and diary writers always wrote, you know, wind as usual or a very heavy wind or very low temperature and so on. And then we got these diaries from different parts from the Antarctic then so we can see if it corresponds to the logbook entries and if it's also corresponding with the reports they have. And the more data we have, the more the scientists can recreate weather patterns that we see. Can we predict weather from the last hundred years, how it will be the next hundred years? And yeah, this is something what is my main project in the moment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that has a tremendous impact. Well, that yep. is so amazing. Well, thank you so much, Ursula, for being with us today. And I, I do hope that you'll share the article with us when it comes out. Yes. Please do. Yes, and thank you for having us. And if you like, I can also send you The Dogs of the Vastness. This is a children's book we produced for the sledge dog statue in Littleton, I told you, and what was also presented at Ice Fest. And I can send you a copy if you like. Uh, oh, I would love and, that. Yeah. That would be wonderful. Yeah, well, yeah and maybe is you there... can give it a prize or whatever. I don't know. Yes, <laughs> yes. If our listeners have any questions or want any information, is there a website or is there a way that they can get more information? I can send you the website from the Sledge Dog Project if you like. Oh, and wonderful. Also, and also order forms for the children's okay. book because it's Christmas. <laughs> maybe somebody yes, interested. Yes, they might and be, it's, absolutely. It's very nice because it's a combination about a Sledge Dog's story, but also with historic details, with historic pictures and information. And I send you one, and if you are interested, okay. then... I can send you also all the forms and I'll send you via email and then you can 
That would be fabulous. And I will yeah. make sure we share that with our listeners. So <laughs> thank you so much, Ursula. Thank and, you for having me. And thank you, our listeners, for being with us today. We love to hear from you. So please keep those emails coming. And you can email me at Marcy, M-A-R-C-I-E, at PetLifeRadio.com. And you can also follow us on Working Like Dogs on Facebook and our blog at WorkingLikeDogs.com. So thanks so much for being with us. And we look forward to visiting with you again soon. Take good care. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.